2 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul is going to begin the last bit of his defense against the super apostles or so-called super apostles that we've been seeing over the last few weeks. And this is the Mount Everest of defenses. It's so much so that we know from the last portion of chapter 11, he does not like boasting in himself. He thinks it's foolish, silly that he has to do that. And now he's even going to refer to himself in the third person, which is not unique. It's a rabbinical tradition at that time that they would do this. And the reason he's doing this is he's saying, you know, I just don't want to have any glory. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to be the focus point here. He wants to glorify the Lord, but he also wants the Corinthians to know, above all else, that there is a higher purpose to what's going on here. Following after him is to follow after the Lord, whereas the super apostles were only in for the, for in it for themselves. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into verses 1 through 4 together. Lord, we pray that you would lead us and direct us this morning, that we would grow in you, be used by you that you would continue to speak to us as you're so faithful to do through your word, and that you would help us to apply it and use it for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. The man he's talking about is himself. And I personally believe that, yes, he did die and he went to heaven, the third heaven. He was in the presence of God and then the Lord sent him right back. He will not say that. Remember, he doesn't want to take any glory to himself. He says he's not sure. Nevertheless, even if I'm wrong, he has a direct vision from the Lord or he's experiencing it personally. Now, when he says, I'm coming to visions and revelations, he knows what he's talking about. Paul has had a lot of unique visions, a lot of unique experiences. I'm going to share eight of them with you. In chapter 9 of the book of Acts, he saw Jesus Christ himself glorified. In chapter 9, he also saw the vision of Ananias coming and putting his hands on him and him receiving his sight from the blind. The Lord revealed that to him. He also was spoken to by the Lord when he was called to minister to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 22. He was called to Macedonia in Acts chapter 16. Remember, he wanted to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit resisted him. Then he saw a vision, a dream of the Macedonian beckoning him. When the ministry got very difficult in Corinth, which we know it has been, we've been in the two uh, books of Corinth and we've been seeing all kinds of difficulties. The Lord encouraged him and strengthened him by a vision. He also did that in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 and 10. And then after he was arrested in Jerusalem, Paul was again encouraged in Acts chapter 23. And then an angel appears to him in Acts chapter 27 in the midst of the storm. When everybody was going to die, the angel came to him and said, hey, you know, have him throw you over. Everyone will be all right. Everyone needs to get off. 
another vision. So Paul is very familiar with unique visions and revelations from God because he is God's chosen, mentor, uh, chosen vessel to the Gentiles. I didn't know English was so difficult. God's chosen vessel to the Gentiles, and so he has a unique relationship. And in the midst of that, now he has been in the throne room of God himself. Now, before we continue, I want to speak to two people in this room. One are the spiritual folks, the hyper-spiritual folks that are like, oh yeah, you hear all these visions and dreams? I have them every week. I have them every day. Every time I come to church, I have a vision. Not so much. Hold your horses. I also want to speak to the other half of the room, the camp that I kind of drift towards. I've called them in the past spiritually dead, but I got in trouble for it, so we won't call them that anymore. We'll call them hyper-discerning or maybe even hyper-critical. Hyper-critical on that, nope, no, that can't possibly be it. That's not, that's not real. That doesn't happen anymore. And I want to bring these visions into their context. You see, Paul's ministry began in A.D. 35. That's when he got saved on the road to Damascus. And he was beheaded somewhere around A.D. 68. And so if this list, which is not exhaustive, we're just using it for illustration, is divided, that means that he had a vision or a dream about once every four years. Now, I say that to say that there's no timeline, there's no pattern or rhythm. The Lord can be silent for a long time. Malachi to Matthew, hundreds of years, no prophets before John the Baptist came on the scene. Or he could be very active, seemingly very rapidly in a short amount of time. You could think of even in recent history in the, the Jesus movement, a great awakening in this nation or others in the past. I just want to point out, though, that if we read the Scripture like the book of Acts, and, and we're reading across time very quickly, we sometimes get this notion that these miracles and visions we're having every minute of every day. In fact, there are some fellowships, unfortunately, that teach that if you're not speaking in tongues or having uh, visions or outbursts of the Holy Spirit every week, that you're not saved. Nothing could be further from the truth. No, Paul is being led uniquely by the Lord. He is growing in grace. He is being used by God. He's having specific visions. And so when he says, I've come to visions and revelations, I'm going to tell you about this going into heaven time. He knows what he's talking about. Now let's switch gears a little bit. When he says that he was in the third heaven, he's talking about being in the throne room of God. It radically changes his entire life. Can you imagine? We, we have the pages of scriptures. We get to read the brochure, but he's been to the vacation. He's ate at the restaurants. He knows what it is to experience it and to feel it. And so when he says, like in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says in verse 21, For to, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet I shall choose what I shall choose, I cannot tell. And finally, verse 23 for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. That's not like a Christian bumper sticker when he says that. that. That's not a magnet on his fridge to make him feel good. 
That's not a t-shirt. That, he has lived that. He has experienced it. When he says to live is Christ and to die is gain, he has died. He's been beaten, stoned. Remember the last chapter? Stripes, uh, shipwrecks. He's been robbed, persecutions. He's been in jail. He's been in dungeons. But he said there in Philippians, all that labor, all that work is for Christ because I know. He's been there. He's experienced it. It changes him. See, Paul has experienced the highest highs and the lowest lows. Literally the highest highs in the throne room, where there is no more grief, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, to the lowest lows, enduring, beaten, tortured, vandalized, uh, crimes committed against him, betrayed, even by the Corinthians trying to follow those super apostles. And remember, in its context, Paul is sharing with the Corinthians right now, there is a higher purpose for all this. It's not just to have these guys come around, get their money, showboat, have a really good entertaining time. We have a heavenly call. Not only is it a heavenly call, he's experienced it. Well, he continues in verses 5 and 6 when he says, Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. I lied to you guys because I forgot something. I want to go back to verses 1 through 4. And I want you to see in verse 4, he says that he heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for me to utter. I wanted to stop there for a second and take a detour because if you go down to the so-called Christian bookstore and you go down those aisles, there's going to be a whole row of authors that all said they went to heaven or they went to hell, and this is what it's like. And, and it, to my mind's eye, it's in, impressive that nobody's calling out all the contradictions with these different books, but some people are, are eating it hand over fist. They're going right into it. They, they, they buy into that. Paul spoke three languages at least, maybe more. He's well-trained. At the feet of Gamaliel, he has well-traveled, he knows a lot of things, and he says it is illegal. The words don't express, they do not exist for me to express what is happening in that kingdom. And so we wanted to have a spiritual inoculation. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, if it's not written in this book, it's highly, highly doubtful. But we also don't want to be in that camp where we say, well, any dream, any vision can't possibly be true. That's not the case either. But according to Scripture, if Paul says it's illegal, inexpressible, not possible, I highly, highly doubt many of the testimonies that are being taught or shared as visions from the Lord. I, I couldn't leave that alone in good conscience. So let's come back to verses 5 and 6. Of such a one I will boast. He's speaking of himself. Yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees to me to be or hears from me. Do you remember in the United States of America when humility used to be a value, a respected value? That if somebody was humble... We looked at them with esteem, with respect. It seems like that has far gone away. 
but Jesus is our ultimate example of humility, and Paul is also an example of humility. He says he will only boast in his weakness. And he would also write in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. This is a good time to point out that Paul is a human being. He's not a superhero. He's not a Marvel movie. He doesn't have a gauntlet of power. He doesn't have any of that stuff. He is a sinner. He is a fallen creature that has been sanctified and justified by his and our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if there's anyone that could boast, we would think, in the Christian faith, it would be Paul. You go through his list of things that have been accomplished, the miracles, the churches, the 13 epistles. And you say, this guy is not like us. He's different. Well, he has a unique calling, but he's just like us. You can see his trials and tribulations. You can see him struggling in Romans when he says, that which I will not to do, that I do. And that which I will not to do, that I do. Did I get that backwards? That which I will not to do, that I do. And that which I will not to do, that I do. I think I got it right. You have to roll back the tape on that one. Either way, he's telling us that he's struggling with his fleshly nature. He's struggling with the flesh and the spirit. He's a human. And so he's saying here, if I'm going to boast in anything, it's going to be in my weakness. Now, I want to plant an illustration in your mind, but we're going to come back to it later. And and that is of a person in a boat, a rowboat, one of the little ones, you know, just you and the oars, going out into the ocean. And some people are so strong, they're so gifted, physically, emotionally, spiritually strong, they can paddle that thing way out there. And some of you here, not so much. You're going to hit that first wave, and you're already seeing it, that boat just tumbling three or four times. Different people built different ways. Now, I'm definitely baiting you. I want you to keep that in your mind, and we're going to come back to that later. But Paul here, because he is human, because he's a person like the rest of us, the Lord has a unique way that he is going to deal with Paul. And it's found in verses 7 and 8. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, and boy, was there a lot of them, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, I know some of you Bible students are like, okay, Mike, what is that thing? What do you think? I have no idea. I'm not even going to try. I do not know what the thorn in the flesh was. All I know is that the Lord allowed the enemy to use it to cause pain in Paul's life to keep him humble. Pain, physical pain. Now, if you are alive, you experience pain. You experience suffering and trials and tribulation. We're going to talk about it. We're going to categorize it. We're going to talk about why the Lord uses it and then how we as Christians are to endure pain. Number one thing that we got to do is we got to figure out where does it come from. Because you're like me, 
Every time I stub my toe, I think God is punishing me for something. That's just not the case. If I'm being punished, it's because I'm dumb. If I put my hand in a frying pan while I'm cooking some eggs and I burn my hand, the Lord is not punishing me. It's not a minister of Satan to buffet me. It's because, yes, I get it. Don't agree with me too harsh. I'm dumb. I did something dumb. You see, the most common form of pain and suffering comes from the fall. We live in a sin-cursed, broken world. The Bible tells us clearly it rains on the just and the unjust alike. And so sometimes you get sick because people get sick. And there's not a spiritual uh, reason. There's not a unique punishment from God, not a unique privilege. We just live in a broken world and broken things happen. I didn't share this with the first service. I remember in California, I remember walking my dog and I let my dog go on the trail, you know, because it's California and we're hippies and we do that kind of stuff out there and the weather's beautiful and great and we're walking. My dog's going up and down through the bushes. No big deal. It's beautiful. It's like a postcard. Get back home, pet my dog. Two days later, I have poison oak all over my face to my toes because he, the dog, was going through all the poison ivy. And I was rubbing the oils on the dog, and then, you know, I'm sweating. I've rubbed my face. I've rubbed my microphone. I'm just going to rub my arms. And I, I had, oh, it was so bad. I was in so much pain. Lord, why are you punishing me? Why are you allowing this? Because you're done. You're dumb, son. <laughs> you know, Adam, he fell. Pain, suffering, thorns. It happens. And we have to be careful not to over-spiritualize that stuff. But that being said, Number two is Satan, the enemy, can also cause pain. You see, in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the fiery darts of the wicked one. You see, Christian, you cannot be possessed by a demon. Greater is he that is in you than is in the world. But Ephesians chapter 6 says that there can be the fiery darts of the wicked one. Fiery darts. They burn, they hurt, they cut. I'm not saying you're going to physically be burned. No, no, let's not be crazy, but there can be things that are spiritual. But what I want to point out is this is very rare. The majority of the time, we're just broken. And then number three, which is, yes, the Lord loves those who He chastens. Sometimes He can allow pain and suffering and persecution in your life. Sometimes He can appoint it for you. He can give you that divine appointment. And we're going to talk about that. For Paul... In his unique situation, it was the Lord allowing Satan to buffet him because his head would have gotten so big. I talked to God. I've been in the throne room. You've been in the throne room? I've been in the throne room. Listen to me. But the Lord knew exactly what he needed. Now, C.S. Lewis tells us in the book, The Problem of Pain, that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience but he shouts in our pains. In his, it is in his, his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, and that doesn't matter where that pain comes from. It could come from you just being dumb. It could come from a fallen world. It could come from petting your dog. It can come from Satan. It can come from him. Pain wakes you up. It reminds you, you don't belong here. This place is not your home. I want to avoid pain at all costs. I don't want to die 
I don't want to put my hand in an electrical socket. I don't want to touch a hot pan. I want to avoid pain. That is natural. That is good. And it is a reminder that you're not supposed to be comfortable here. Now, I like camping. I like roughing it. You know, I like going out there for about three days. That's about as much as I can take. Then I need a shower. You know, if I'm going to go out in the woods, I'm going to go hunting. If I'm going to go out there just to get away from uh, 278 for a little while. Now, throw in an RV. Let's go glamping. You probably got a week out of me. A week. And then I'm uncomfortable. It's not my home. I, I want to go home to where I'm comfortable. Well, Paul talks about his body being like a tent that he wants to cast off because he has been home. He's experienced the throne room. And he's also experiencing on earth this pain. This is, we're all going to wrap this together. It's all going to come together in a gift wrap here in a little bit. But he is at the highest highs and the lowest lows. Why doesn't he just go jump off a cliff? Why is he still staying here? Remember what he said in Philippians, to further the cause, to live as Christ, to die as gain. He wants to bring more people with him. What we have to do is be careful of false rationalization of why we're experiencing things. We falsely try and rationalize it to be from Satan, from God, and a lot of times it's just this is what happens to people, believer and unbeliever alike. Just to remind you, we'll go to the words of Jesus in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So it wasn't a punishment. It wasn't because of sin. This is just the way the world is. But Jesus came to redeem mankind from the fall to bring reconciliation and restoration of the relationship between God and man. You see, this is where things are going to start taking off. Every person suffers. Every person goes through pain. For the believer, that pain has a purpose, if you allow it. I'm sorry to say, but for the non-believer, that pain has no purpose. It's just experienced. And it's for no reason. If they're going to go to the pit, but for the believer, our pain has a purpose. It brings us closer to the throne room. It brings us closer to the Lord. It reminds us that this is temporary. It reminds us that even though we're going through this life like everyone else, we have a higher calling. The issue is here in the text, Paul asked three times that it might depart. He prayed, Lord, just take this away, take this away, take this away. But many Christians are begging that for days, weeks, years, and you won't stop. The problem is not that you're asking to be pain-free. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is you're judging your relationship on God based on the answer He's giving you. Most of the time, the answer is no. Lord, heal me from this. Take this away from me. And his answer is no. You just don't like the answer that he's given you. He says no. You're going to have cancer. You're going to have leg problems. You're going to have a back problem. You're going to have shoulder problems. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. 
What is the proof of God's love for you? That he gave his only begotten son. This pain, it can be excruciating, and it takes time, but it does have a point. It's not pointless. All things work together for the good, for those that love him. No, many times we are called to endure it. The problem is you think that God doesn't love you, he doesn't like you, or even worse still, the enemy comes in your life, well, he didn't heal you, he must not exist. All that stuff is lies. Every person goes through it, every human being, believer and non-believer alike. But as Jesus said, that the works of God should be revealed in him. In his case, God healed him. Jesus healed him because to show that he could. Before we go into verses 9 and 10, I want to remind you that every Christian will be healed. The issue is if it is in this life or in the next life. But for the Christian, it is always temporary. Now, in verses 9 and 10 comes the Lord's answer to Paul's beseeching. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul continues, Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities, get that highlighter out, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Highlight that. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. Here it is again. Highlight, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Like, this is when we think Paul's going to superhero mode. Like, this isn't possible. I'm not going to take pleasure in my infirmities. Nobody's asking you to like pressure, pain, suffering, persecution. No, 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 no. Nobody's asking you to do that. That's not real. Like I said, fully admit, I try to avoid pain at all times, unless it's the gym, of course, then I have to go find it. But we have a higher purpose. Remember I told you to put that illustration in the back of your mind of rowing? And we're, and we're all trying to row out there into the ocean. And what do they say when a storm comes in? They say small craft advisory. What does that mean? That means you're dumb if you're out there. Because the storm starts coming in, and there we are. We're trying to row, row, row. That's you in your own strength trying to live your life, your Christian life, your experiences, your pressures, your heartache, your pains. And you're like, Lord, just make it easy. Lord, just make it easy. But you're still out there just rowing your little heart out. And some of you are upset you can't even get off the beach, and you're watching people a mile out, and you're like, why can't I just be like that? You can't even get out of the surf. That's because you're doing it all wrong. Put the oars up. Put the oars away and put up the sail. Not in your own strength, not in your own power. That's why Paul says, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul doesn't go through these things. Paul isn't stronger than us. He's not rowing harder than us. He's got the sail up. The Holy Spirit is leading him. God is leading him and directing him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's resting in the Spirit. And he's realizing that the pain has a purpose. How do I know that? Because at the end of verse 10, he said, for Christ's sake. He can take pleasure in those things because he knows that God is going to be glorified. He takes pleasure in those sufferings and difficulties and sicknesses because he knows people are going to get saved through this and to live as Christ and to die as gain. I know, I know where I'm going. 
See, that's how you can be sitting at the end of your, your hospital bed. And the doctor can come in. He can look you in the eye. And with that hesitant voice, he can tell you, you have terminal cancer. And you can smile back at him. See, he was outside in the hallway freaking out because he doesn't know how he's going to tell you this difficult news. Well, you're not going to be smiling because you're like, oh, gee, this is going to be fabulous. I love how this is going to feel. No. You can smile knowing that Christ is on the throne, that to live is Christ, to die is gain, that everyone is going to go through difficult things in their life. Nobody makes it out of this alive. The proof of God's love for you is not that you have cancer or that he doesn't heal you from it. It's that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because in the next room right over there, the next room over is a non-believer going through the same thing. But we have Christ, and we suffer for Christ's sake. Yes, it has a purpose. You see, the issue is not that we experience pain or like pain. It's as Christians, we should be able to endure it. We should be able to endure it with a different strength because we're not rowing the boat. The Holy Spirit is leading us and directing us. See, remember what Paul wrote in chapter 1 of this book. He wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Imagine getting up in that hospital bed, smiling, ministering to the doctor, going to the room next door you, the, the non-believer who's experiencing the exact same thing and ministering to them, to be able to pour yourself out because it doesn't matter. We're all in this boat together. Just some of us are rolling, some of us are in the tide, and some of us have the sails up and are going supernaturally farther than other people. Man, how hard is he rowing? The oars are up. And they're sleeping in the boat. That's what Paul means by the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, we also know, it's not just a matter of enduring hardship, that the Lord is working in us and through us, through it. In fact, Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom... Also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope and glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. All those things are working together in us, and it all shows the love of God and the grace of God. Paul goes from paradise to pain. If I were him, I'd be like, where's the eject button? But he has a higher calling, a higher purpose, and that is to reach the lost. Remember, let's not lose this message in its context in this chapter. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. I have not only gone through everything that's in chapter 11, but I have been in the presence of God. I have a minister of Satan to buffet me and keep me humble, and I'm doing all these things so that you could go into the throne room with me. What are the super apostles doing? 
What are they doing this for? What's their point? No, he had experienced these great highs and great lows. And all of that is wrapped up in Paul saying, I don't even want to refer to myself in the first person because I don't want you to glory in me. I don't want you to look at these things and say, wow, Paul, you're so great. I want you to look at these things and say, wow, God, he is so great. He is amazing. Now, Paul explains this in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12 through 14 because he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Oh, that's the point. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak through the word without fear. All those things having happened as he was, in res- he was arrested and put in a dungeon. He was in chains. All those things that he experienced... The household palace guards that he's talking about, those are Caesar Nero's guards have become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because Paul was enduring all those things that he talked about. And he would endure to the end, and in around AD 68, he's beheaded, and he is finally reunited with the throne room and completed his race. He suffered long and hard, and he gloried in it, not because he's sadistic. It's not because he loves pain. It was because of the higher calling of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way you can do that in your Christian walk is to have the sails up. You can't do it in your own power. You have to do it in the Lord and just yield to Him. If the answer is no, it is no. But what are you going to do about it? No. For those that are like me, you know, a little bit more hypercritical, the answer is not always no. Sometimes he will heal. Sometimes he will do the miraculous. That, too, is for the glory of God. We must remember the words of Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain, knowing that it reigns on the unbeliever and the believer alike. Not all the pain that we go through is a direct relation to what we've done. If it was, we'd all be ash heaps. If we got punished for the things that we did, according to the Lord, we'd all be gone. But because there is difficulty and we live in a sin-cursed world, we have the ability to suffer for a purpose because Christ has redeemed us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We pray that you would help us to put the sails up, to be filled with your power, to have you guide us and direct us, and to do things not in our own strength, but in your strength, that you would receive the glory that as John the Baptist said, Lord, we would decrease and that you would increase. Be magnified, be glorified. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there will be brothers and sisters available up front to pray with. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.